back, everybody. It is I, Garrett Weinzerl, here with another solo show that I refuse to come up with a name for that I actually like. Uh, it's not a solo show, though, this week, because I am joined by a good friend of mine. You may know him if you're a longtime old-school hardcore fan of AMove.TV as the co-host on podcasts such as This Week in Blizz or AMove Radio. And if you don't, if you're listening to this, chances are you've at least heard me name drop him once on every episode in the past four weeks. Uh, it's my good buddy, Ben Zweifel. Ben, welcome, dude. Hey, thank you. It is uh, interesting to be here after hearing myself be talked about so much. <laughs> I, I personally cringed when you told me you were listening to the to the show. I'm like, oh, no, no. This is, weird. Oh. This is, this is like a, a kind of a conversation I would have with you anyway, uh, but with you in the room uh, personally when we're hanging out on a weekend as opposed to me talking to myself uh, and then putting it out as a podcast. So I don't. Yeah, yeah, totally. It just seemed weird to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always weird having you know close personal friends listen to stuff that you make, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, for some reason, it's I find it easier to pr- perform for uh, nameless strangers or faceless strangers uh, than it is uh, for like one person who I know pretty well. Man, I totally get that. <laughs> I really, I can empathize with that really well. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm excited, dude. I haven't we, we haven't podcasted in a very long time. You you just you kind of you hung up your microphone as as it were. Yeah, you know it's just I don't mind doing stuff like this, but the whole thing just makes me a little anxious. Like, just I'm not a performer naturally. Like, it's very difficult for me to do that kind of stuff. So some people take to it really just like that is their happy place, right? But for me, it's always sort of an uphill battle. Mm, fair enough. I've always just liked. Like my happy place is talking to friends. Like as you may have noticed, since <laughs> Katie and I tend to hang out with you and Abby quite a bit, and I just like hanging out and talking. And for for whatever reason, it's easy for me to kind of just be like, yeah. And you just put a microphone in front of you uh, and sweat it out in your overly lit office, and it's the same, basically the same thing, right? <laughs> it's close. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but thanks for thanks for coming on, man. I I I've literally wrote you and I was like, hey, man, I'm feeling kind of lazy. You want to come on Angry Nerd because it's an infinitely easier show to do when there's someone to talk to. You don't have to script everything out ahead of time. And- no, now you can just we can do literally what we're doing right now, which is essentially bullshitting. Yeah, yeah. Covering each other's dead air. <laughs> You're still very good at it, by the way. Good, good. <laughs> uh, well, that's 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 great, man. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I, the, the reason I asked you is because the, you know th- this show has at least at the beginning of this new year just become a cocktail show uh at least for the last four weeks um and uh i i have mentioned you and abby uh you guys have come up at least once on i think every episode so far because i mean you two are the reason that katie and i even you know kind of got into cocktails or even started paying attention to cocktails at all so so i i figured let's have a a chat because i realized that i could basically interview you because there are some questions i never asked and i'm frankly curious about um so i'm I'm curious how did you and abby get into this thing like did you i know you go to new york city all the time was this just a random stop when you went out there or were you seeking out the cocktail rabbit hole we we kind of sought it out so it was um that's a good question actually but like so like we haven't been doing this for very long. Like neither of us has ever worked in a service industry. You know what I mean? Like you've got more experience with that kind of stuff than either of us do. Um, let alone bartended or anything like that. But like we just started getting interested in, I think, you know, um, 
there's a like a pf chang's near our house and we like it's the only restaurant we can walk to comfortably and so we like walked there one day and we were like looking at their stupid cocktail menu and we were like you know why don't we try one of these because why not you know like the, the the sort of mythical notion of a cocktail is really appealing to a lot of people but more often than not they're kind of pretty gross um <laughs> i'm sure you can agree with that and most people out there probably will too so unless you've had really good cocktails like often they're just really kind of trash um yeah you, our listeners if you've missed it go back to my first cocktail episode which is about the old-fashioned and i will regale you with a, a discussion of what i used to think was the most disgusting drink in the world and then i realized it was just being made wrong <laughs> yeah sure and you know i, I don't want to begrudge uh what people like to drink but like often you know like we have such high expectations for food these days um you know I, I, culturally like we we uh, our sense of like what is good food and our access to good ingredients and like the sort of um you know quality of cooking has become really high level and cocktails are kind of lagging behind that like you can go to really good restaurants that have really junk cocktail programs um and thankfully, that's changing over the past couple of years. But it's I, I feel like it's lagging behind food by a couple of decades. Um, and so it's interesting. So anyway, back to back to our story of how we got into this. We had this horrible cocktail at this mediocre restaurant. And uh, we were kind of like, you know what? We could probably do this better. Like, there's got to be a better answer than this. So the, your um, answer to how you got into cocktails is hubris? No, not hubris. <laughs> but... <laughs> But like, I mean, come on, it was, it was just like, not great. Like it was, you can tell like, this is poorly balanced and nobody's put a lot of effort into this. You know what I mean? Like, like everything is half-assed in a lot of ways. I never even, so you were already, it seems like kind of in the right mindset and, and you've always struck me as the kind of person that when you become remotely interested in anything, you can, you can deconstruct that thing faster than anyone I know. Uh, oh yeah. Abby and, and I are both like this. Like, so like we're very, we're nerds about stuff in a like if i learn a skill or want to do a thing like we'll do that very intensely to the point of burnout often like it doesn't it's not always great or healthy or whatever but like if i want to do a thing i don't want to do it like casually poorly right so if you want to do it do it right yeah no i think i think that's fair because what i was going to say is you already you already mentioned you're like oh this drink is is poorly balanced i don't think i ever even thought about cocktails as as a balancing act uh until i started talking to you about them but I feel like you've had, like, let's say you have half a dozen cocktails, right? Before mm-hmm. you really get into the cocktail thing. You've had some that are better than others, right? So often, like, people's reaction is like, this is really sour or this is way too sweet to drink, right? So, I mean, like, that's a pretty, like, if you've ever made lemonade, that's the logic behind it, right? Yeah. Um. So, like, you're kind of like, oh, I wish this wasn't as sweet as it is or I wish this wasn't whatever, you know, or I wish this drink was cold. That would be great, right? <laughs> um. So it was kind of this thing where we're kind of like, you know, I bet we can do this better and cheaper was the big thing, right, for us. Like, we were like, I bet we, if we, you know, buy some ingredients, we could probably do a slightly better version of this. And, you know, in the back of our minds, there was definitely this notion of, like, good cocktails do exist. It wasn't just, um, I, I don't know, you know, where I learned that or what, but, like, I knew that they existed out there somewhere. Um so anyway, we, we, we got home, we did some research, and eventually we, you know, the internet's a great resource for this kind of stuff. And we bought the Death & Co. book, which I'm sure you've talked about a lot. Um, and we started making some of the things in the classic section. And they were really good. Like, And we've built our bar from there. We've bought 
you know, another dozen cocktail books in the meantime. And, uh, my wife, Abby frequently goes to, um, we both go to New York for, uh, trade shows for her. And I meet some clients there and stuff. And, um, so we were there probably about twice a year and Manhattan is kind of the epicenter of a lot of these really good cocktail bars. Um, so on a trip, we decided, you know what, let's, go to death and co like why why don't we do this and um we were there for a couple of days maybe a week um and we went on the first night and then uh two days later we were like okay we're going back again because that was really good um and it was sort of a really different level of attention to detail and it was uh i mean it was world class in a lot of ways it would it was a very radically different experience where people put a lot of effort into something to make it really good and i enjoy watching anybody be good at like anything if that makes sense kind of, um, kind of the phenomenon behind uh, the olympics which is going on right now right exactly like I, I have no interest in curling but watching someone else who's really good at it is still impressive right like <laughs> yeah yeah to a um, certain degree but then I, I, on top of that i think it's magnified if you have even the slightest bit of interest in what you are watching yeah or context right i mean mm. that that helps a lot um, and cause we had made a couple drinks and we had read this thing and now we had like a little bit of context and we went to this bar and it was like way better than we expected. Like I expected good, but it was like very good. Like it was, it was very impressive. Um, and since that happened, that's happened, we've been back and forth to New York, you know, maybe another half a dozen times. And we've like got a list of cocktail bars that we go to every time. And now when we visit other cities, we like seek out the better cocktail bars that are in these places. Um, and we used to do that with food a lot more. And now slowly for us, it's transitioned over to like finding the really good cocktail bars that are in places because you'd be surprised where you can find them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly has spread. I that, That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about what you mentioned at the beginning of all this, which was, you know, the, the cocktail, the quality of cocktail to the quality of the restaurant is, is something that's been kind of lagging behind. Um but but you're right. I I still it, it is certainly getting better. But there's I still go to plenty of places, and actually anywhere I go for the most part, unless I've been there before, I'm scared to order an old fashioned. I don't know what I'm going to get. Right, and you know there's definitely um, indicators like when you're there at that kind of bar that you can like tell pretty easily like whether or not they've got a sort of a crafty cocktail program or whether like mm, just order a beer <laughs> like <laughs> don't waste your time and theirs like trying to be something that they're not yeah um, what, what is uh what is like one of the big things you look for because because for me if i see a bottle of campari i feel i let out a sigh of relief right okay so that's a pretty great i mean like i'm not sure if you've talked about the negroni but like it's this sort of like it was uh, three- last week actually Oh, cool. Excellent. Um, so this is like three part cocktail that doesn't require any fresh ingredients and is relatively easy to assemble. And if the ratios aren't perfect, like works pretty well, right? No matter what. Um, so it's one of those drinks where you can, if they know what it is, you're pretty safe to order it because it's pretty hard to mess up. Um, so that's a, that's a great like sort of indicator of if they go, huh, what? I mean, maybe don't order it. Um, you know, or I, you can tell by the menu usually, like, if these people take themselves, like, sort of, you know, craft cocktails seriously. Like, you, you see a lot of menus like that these days. Not all of them are good necessarily, but, you know, they're trying hard. Yeah, it's it's going the route. Uh, it's it, it's really reminding me of, of the craft beer scene back when we were in college. Watching that emerge 
you know, like we had maybe two bars locally that we could go to and get craft beer. And then over the course, rather rapidly, I feel like over the next three to four years, all of a sudden I could get a craft beer at pretty much any restaurant. Yeah. And similar things are happening now, you know, but there's a bigger uh, sort of um, hurdle to entry with something like um, craft cocktails, just because uh, you you need a proper liquor license, which is a lot harder to get and very expensive. And so it's very self-limiting in a lot of ways. Um, But you're totally right, right? I mean, like Florida has an incredibly robust craft beer scene now, right? Yeah. Um, And so it's interesting like we have a mediocre cocktail scene. There's a couple of good cocktail bars here and there in Florida, but like most of them aren't here necessarily, but it's you. We're not talking about world-class stuff. We're talking about just like pretty good. And there's a lot of pretty good, which I hugely appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like our local bar is what is Cascanale. That's probably the place I think of as the safest. I don't think I've ever had a drink there that I have disliked, I guess. But I mean, I've been there once. It wasn't like, a thing, an experience that I would seek out again. Right. Like just because, I mean, that's another hurdle. So it's not like a small intimate bar. It's a massive restaurant because liquor licenses here require you to, um, I'm not sure exactly about the details, but, um, basically require you to get like 50% of your profits from food and stuff like that. So you have to have a ton of like seating requirements and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, um, I, I think it's specifically a Sarasota thing too. Cause I, I had been to the one in Tampa multiple times and it's, it's less than half the size of the one here. Right. And it's probably a better experience. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a very, a very good experience the first time I went, we, we went back, we liked it so much. And then when I heard one was opening here, I was like, yes. And then when, the, when we, you and I, we, we all, the, the four of us, we went together on like, they had a preview night or something. I'm like, I'm like, why is this the size of a red lobster? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was very much that kind of experience. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, actually, one of the, the the best cocktail program here locally is probably Jack Dusty's, which is this uh, hotel bar. Oh, Ritz, dude, right? I forgot. Uh, I forgot to tell you, we went there uh, oh, yeah? a week ago, and I finally got to try the Scarlet Ibis Rum in a daiquiri. Oh, interesting. Yeah, how was that? It was very tasty. It was. Uh, it's a weird dry rum. Yeah, yeah. It gave it. It gave. I don't. I don't really know how to explain it, but. All I, all I know is I, I liked it, but you're right. Yeah. Dry is a, is a good, is a good term. Yeah. And I, and it's interesting having something that dry that, you know, has sugar involved. Cause I'm used to like a martini, which has no sweetener when I'm having a very dry cocktail. Right. Uh, and, and I mean, often, um, you know, rums have quite a bit of sugar in them depending on what, you know, kind of make they are. Um, but this is definitely not one of them. I mean, or it's probably got some, but not a ton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's a hotel bar. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, it's not necessarily what you expect. Um, but uh, they've done a great job with, like, having an actual interesting sort of innovative, like, and they're trying hard and they're doing cool things, which is great. Um, but more often than not, like, we'll have a better experience for a massively less money at home. And uh, we've built out our bar pretty significantly. And it's allowed us to you know, experiment and, you know, you know, play alchemist a little bit. Um, oh yeah, no, I com- I completely agree. The whole reason we're into this as, as much as we are is because of, of, of yours and Abby's home bar and inviting us over and, uh, you know, kind of trying out your new, uh, your new specs on us. 
And uh, nope. so, so what I'm trying to say is thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for causing me to lose thousands of dollars into this <laughs> hobby. It's not cheap, right? Even even when you do it as DIY as possible. Okay, so this is the thing. I'm gonna. This is a, a rant for me, which is saying like it's not cheap. What hobby is cheap? Like there are very few. Uh, that, that's fair that's hobbies fair. that are like all i can think we live in florida and everyone golfs everyone freaking golfs golf is excruciatingly expensive and i hate it <laughs> so uh yeah. i'm just like no i would rather stay home in the ac and mix myself a tasty beverage yeah which is probably going to be a lot better than whatever you're going to get at the golf club yeah bar. <laughs> well that's true i agree with you on jack dusty though i, I do think if i had to if I had to pick a favorite local bar right now, you're right. And that, where are they? They're in the Ritz, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Which is like a weird thing. Like I would never have thought of myself as a person who goes to the Ritz. Right. Like what? Yeah. It seems, um, it feels so pretentious. But that's kind of I think that's the thing I like about cocktails because you, you got into it a little bit when you were talking about the joy of going to Death & Co and watching the, the bartenders work and the amount of uh, craft that goes into it in this excruciating attention to detail which which probably goes a little too far so far on this show i've just been trying to keep it as as open as possible being like man you don't need to lose your mind you don't have to have a mixing glass you can mix them whatever you happen to have but But, i mean when you're trying to be quote the best in the world at something and i'm not saying death and co is by any means they're just culturally in sort of home bartending circles it's such a big deal because they came out with the book that's such a great you know useful resource um yes yeah, we have quite a few cocktail books now and the death and co one is the one I, I return to the most right it's super well organized it's structured logically it's pretty like it's got great specs that are relatively easy to make um yeah you know but uh, anyway my, my point my point was uh was that um is is that that it, what i th- like about cocktails is that something with that level of passion behind it and craft and perfection i mean it reminds me of you know high-end dining but to to walk it back from the pretentiousness of it yeah a cocktail might be considered expensive when it's 13 14 15 dollars but the the barrier to entry for that to go and experience that and try it out versus fine dining is significantly lower Right. At, you know, a $250, $300 tasting menu at the French Laundries is like a different ball game, right? Yeah, exactly. Without the wine pairing, right? Yeah. It's just not even not even close. And you're right. It's a lot cheaper. You can show up and have a drink for $15 and exp- have a really good experience. But you bring up a good point, which is um, like cocktails are intimidating for a lot of people. Like they're – most people order drinks that they have heard of and have some context for it, not necessarily drinks that they like. And most people have some sort of formative memory that is like, oh, I don't like gin or I don't like X, right? These really I, was broad... like, I was like that about rum for the longest exactly. time. And, and, I, and I still pretty much am like that for tequila, but there's exceptions. Exactly. But so like that's most people's sort of context for cocktails and most people have had Bad cocktails and bad experiences with cocktails. So it's really intimidating, especially there was sort of like there's definitely an element of uh, sort of a- aggressive disdain for people who might not be in the know um, that sort of surfaced in cocktail bars, you know, like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's you can draw a parallel between any other interest or hobby though right like this is the same yeah, it's, it's gatekeeping as, essentially yeah yeah it's yeah exactly it's the same shittiness you see in gaming circles in sports circles in in anything 
Yeah. All right. If you order something that the bartender doesn't approve of, she will sneer at you, you know, and judge you. But like, what's really nice is that has changed over the past couple of years. Like, these really good cocktail bars are sort of leading the charge on, um, just, uh, like. If you, you drink whatever you want to drink, like have a great experience doing it. Like that's the only thing that matters. Like hospitality is the important part rather than like being snooty about your ingredients or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hospitality, it, not hostility. Exactly. Um, and you know, it, it goes the other way. You can be too, I, I mean, yeah, you hear people aggressively talking about hospitality now, which is such a weird concept to me. Um, but <laughs> overall, overall, like for me at least it's made it like even when you go into these places like like death and for instance is structured like a speakeasy like it's very like oh there's no windows it's like a scary looking door that you go through like <laughs> um it, there's a you know a door guy that you have to talk to and, and then he takes people in individually basically and you know it's got that kind of like there's a slight barrier to entry but then after that it's kind of very casual and relaxed and it's not judgy in any way which is was kind of a surprise to me like i was ready to be really intimidated and then i wasn't i was like oh okay (laughs) like this is pretty easy um and you know all these bartenders are really educational and nice and will answer your questions and like will be nerds with you um at least when they have time um so that was that sort of like opened us up to a lot of that stuff, which was like, Oh, this can be really pleasant. Like it doesn't have to be intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to not know something, right? Like that's a big deal. Right. I I have, I I respect people so much more right now when they admit that they don't know something. Uh, Like we had an experience. I think I told you about this, but we had an experience at a local bar uh, a couple weekends ago where I ordered, I asked for a daiquiri and the bartender goes like a slushy. And I go, no, 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 like, uh, it's like a three ingredient, you know, classic cocktail. And she's like, oh, let me, let me grab the other bartender. Cause he's into that. Um, because the, the bar had a really solid cocktail menu. Like I looked at it, like you said, you can check out the menu or you can look what's behind the bar to see if they're into the drinks that you like drinking. Right. Um, and yeah, and she just kind of admitted right off like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm gonna grab the other bartender. And I was like, sweet. Thanks. I find that kind of fascinating like because you end up with a lot of these um, restaurants that are recognizing that they need to have strong cocktail programs that compete with the quality of their food right or support the quality of their food um and so what ends up happening is you hire local bartenders that aren't necessarily into this sort of you know i mean like so making good drinks is probably at least from what i've been told and what i've observed you know like five percent of being a good bartender um it has far more to do with everything else around it than it does with making a good drink. Right. Um, and, uh, it's interesting to me to see these scenarios where like essentially local bartenders have been hired and then they've probably brought in consultants to build them like a craft cocktail menu and like, here are the specs, here's what you guys should do. Um, and then those guys leave. But so you have this sort of like weird holes in sort of fundamental knowledge, like what is a daiquiri, Right. Um, yeah, although I, in my in my head, I just go, well, we're we're Gulf Coast, Florida. There is literally a place called Daiquiri Deck down the street where the spring breakers go to get their pina colada. 
that's a and, fair assumption. And, and most people would probably go in there and go, I want a daiquiri like a slushy thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and, yeah. and, and, and and so this is, you know, pretentiousness coming from the other side, which from the side of the of the bar patron, uh, which which is another thing I think that should be combated, which is, you know, don't if they don't know what the hell the the snooty uh, classic cocktail you want is, you know, let them off the leash. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And just don't have expectations for things that. I mean, like, I can be very judgy in private like, if a drink is bad, but I, I'm not going to, you know, make that overt or whatever. Right, um, right. I very, the one thing that absolutely gets me is that if they're shaking cocktails and the shake is really, like, anemic and kind of, like, just sloshing <laughs> a couple ice cubes back and forth and then, like, <laughs> pouring a drink. Like, and it's kind of like, it's mm, that's not, like, a quality thing. Uh, that's just that I'm unenthusiastic about this completely. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I... I, I understand and when we uh we, you and you and i and i yeah abby and katie were there too had had a oh no 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 sorry that was with steve anyway had a, a pretty god-awful cocktail experience at uh, specifically a cocktail bar here locally that i won't i won't single out but um yeah yeah we, everyone gets judging about something in private right it's just just don't make a scene don't don't, don't get into people's grills just don't go back maybe if you had a bad time you know i i feel like as a patron like you you sh- i've never done this because i'm far too socially anxious to actually do it but like you should be able to send a drink back if it's bad like that's okay like if they did a really horrible job with it like it's fine to do that um but you know that that takes a lot of sort of social courage right yeah i've I've always been just like uh i'm just gonna maybe finish this if i really hate it i'll leave it and i will just leave like i'll pay obviously i won't I won't bitch, no, but, no, of uh, not. but yeah, I just, and I just won't come back, but I've always, I don't know. I've, I've been, um, <laughs> I was a waiter for a while, so I don't know. I've, I guess I'm kind of shell shocked by other human beings. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. my, my thought was always like, eh, if you didn't like it, you know, just don't come back. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you know, I mean like, you know, things happen, mistakes get made and stuff like that. You know, that's also the difference between like the sort of, you know, a bartender doesn't care very much or like the bartenders at these world class bars. Like we were at a bar called Blacktail in um, in New York um, and it's down the financial district. And so it's a great like Cuban themed bar and it's, you know, one best bar in the world or best new bar or best American bar or something like that. I don't know. But either way, it's one bunch of awards and it's a very, very good bar. And it's really, um, I mean, the drinks are spectacular. The wait staff is spectacular. The decor is great. And it's a really fun experience. But um, it, it was interesting watching the patrons next to me because the, you know, the, the person sitting next to me was kind of clearly not enjoying the drink that they had ordered. It was qu- not quite what they had expected. And the bartender went to, despite being completely slammed and down a person and building five drinks at a time, bartender went to great lengths to make sure that this person got the kind of drink that they wanted and happily replaced those for free. You know what I mean? Just because that kind of experience is worth so much more, especially in sort of a business model where building regulars is important and word of mouth is very important. Um, so that was a very interesting experience to watch where I feel like in a lot of other scenarios, that person might've been dismissed. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's fair. But again, it, it sounds like the, the bartender took the initiative to probably ask, Oh, it's, it, did you like that? He probably picked something up. Right. Yeah. I mean, but she read the room incredibly well and like, 
like could tell like this person wasn't super thrilled about it. So it started asking questions about it and then like sort of slowly whittled down from there what they actually wanted and managed to get that to them, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's kind of, that's kind of rad. And now that I think about it, oh my God, I've sent, I've sent stake back, stakes back so many times. So maybe I shouldn't be as, as, um, against, I don't know, sending a drink back or something, but right. Yeah. Makes what makes just sense. overcooked steaks. I, I, nothing will set me off like an overcooked steak. Yeah, and it's like not a hard problem to solve, right? Like, I, I would it's re- a specific temperature. It's like a scientifically specific temperature. Yeah, because um, I so rarely go out for steak because it's freaking expensive. Much like cocktails, it's something I would just rather buy at the local grocer or butcher and cook at home uh, because of the price of eating one at a restaurant. Right. Uh, so exactly. when I do, I'm just like, screw it. I really want a steak and I'm at a restaurant. And when I, so when I do get one of his splurge for it, I'm just like, damn it, this thing is over $20. I want it cooked right. Exactly. I mean, and that's not an unreasonable expectation. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, anyway, man, I mean, so so I, on the last four episodes, I was kind of sharing my, you know, th- drinks I've been really into. Do, do you have a favorite drink right now? Um, that is a difficult question. Um, not really. It really depends on what I'm in the mood for. But I did have something that I figured we would share, which was sort of like building on your Negroni from last week. Um, and going to slightly more complex territory for people who want to like not upgrade their bar, but like, you know, slightly advance it a bit further. Um, and that's the jungle bird. And, uh, the jungle bird is like a pretty fundamental tiki drink. I'm not even sure if it technically qualifies as a tiki drink, but I think it does. Um, and, uh, it's delicious and relatively easy to make. And unlike a lot of other tiki drinks, it doesn't have like a dozen ingredients. So it's actually pretty accessible. Um, yeah, you keep telling me to make this and I just haven't done it yet. Well, you, you guys are not big pineapple fans, right? I like pineapple. Uh, Katie, Katie can't frankly stand it. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. So it's a little difficult in that kind of context, but, um, should we talk a little bit about Tiki first and what Tiki actually is? Yeah, I I would be fascinated, man, because I I know nothing about Tiki. Okay, so I am not a Tiki expert. Okay. Um. Just to clarify real quick. Well, you're in luck because I am an expert on nothing I've talked about so far. Excellent. All right. I'm good company. Um, b- b- this is my under very anecdotal understanding of the sort of brief history of Tiki. Um, so in 1934, a guy called Don the Beachcomber um, – or, or sorry, the, a restaurant opened called Don the Beachcomber. And the, it was opened by a guy called Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant. Um it was a young guy from Texas and he legally changed his name later to actually Don beach, which is hilarious on so many levels. Uh, but anyway, so this, this, um, this restaurant in Hollywood opened up and it was like Polynesian themed bar and restaurant. Um, and they would have like a weird mix of like sort of Caribbean rum drinks and, uh, Cantonese like Chinese style food. And that's like kind of the cuisine that we associate with like, you know, takeaway Chinese food today. Um, and this weird mix of, of like Polynesian decor. Um, and then like uh, a couple of years later, a guy called Victor Bergeron, um, better known as Trader Vic. So there's, you've got Don beach and Trader Vic, right? These are these two main characters and Tiki, um, also adopted Tiki theme for his restaurant in Oakland. Um, that eventually became this like big, big chain. Um, and so, like over the years, this became sort of increasingly more popular. And by the 1950s, like a ton of other restaurants had stolen these themes as well. And they were like copying each other's, you know, uh, 
cocktail uh, recipes and their dishes and all sorts of stuff like that. Like uh, to the point of which, like for instance, the Mai Tai today, like if you will order a Mai Tai anywhere, like more often than not, it's a radically different drink with radically different ingredients because nobody can quite agree on like a, who came up with it or like, so this is actually a long feud between Don, the beach, uh, Don, the beachcomber and Trader Vic, like who invented the Mai Tai? Um, and I'm not sure I actually have the answer for that. But anyway, <laughs> so like you've got this like weird um, Polynesian themed like pop culture stuff that's happening. And as sort of World War II draws to a close, you have all these people that served in the Pacific Theater in World War II in places like Hawaii. Um, and with the emergence of the middle class that, you know, had a lot more purchasing power and started traveling internationally for vacations and stuff like America became obsessed with places like Hawaii. Um, and so for a period of time there, like this sort of weird, like faux, you know, Pacific stuff became really, really trendy. And, um, it, and it, I mean, Tiki is very much this completely like imaginary version of Polynesia. It's like both like charming and very strange at the same time. If you've ever been in a real Tiki bar, you'll notice it's like, like often the ceilings are completely covered in decor and like there's art everywhere, like carvings and stuff like that. And so it's this like mix of complete fiction sprinkled with like dashes of cultural appropriation that are a little weird, but like also it has its own charm and it's just a very interesting experience overall. And, um, you know, it was born in California and it thrives in places like Chicago where the weather is frequently terrible and you'd much rather escape to a tropical vacation. Um, then sort of deal with the outside world. You know, you go to a good tea bar more often than not, they don't even have any windows. Like it's just a lot of like flotsam and jetsam that's been salvaged from around the world. And it's built this like fake tropical paradise. It's very Disneyland in the way. Oh yeah. I was, I was just about to say it's, it's theme park. It totally is. Yeah. It's, it's completely theme park. And so if you kind of go in knowing that, like it can be a really fun, charming experience. But anyway, so Tiki sort of slowly died out over time. And then the 90s saw a significant revival, like a bunch of books were published and like a bunch of bars opened. And, um, you know, like the bars were often kind of pretty ironic, like, oh, hey, look, this tropical themed bar. Isn't this hilarious? And they were sling the same drinks that other places had or hadn't given them a lot of thought. Um, and it sort of ebbed and flowed in popularity. But um, then eventually in 2009, a guy called Martin Kate opened a bar in San Francisco called Smuggler's Cove. And it sort of reset a lot of expectations for what tiki bars could and should be. Um, and I could be getting some of this wrong. This is just kind of how I understand it. Um, but the sort of tiki extension of this cocktail renaissance that we've seen in the past two decades, um, you know, started filtering through that. And it's not just you know, like a really boozy version of the jungle cafe or, or the rainforest cafe. Like it's, they're actually like legit, really good cocktail bars and they work really hard at making really interesting stuff. Um, you know, now you've got places like false idol in San Diego or three dots on a dash and lost lake in Chicago or, uh, latitude 29 in new Orleans. Like all these places like have their own tiki bars that are really spectacular. Like they're very, very good. Um, which is awesome because they're different experiences from what you expect like a fancy cocktail bar to be, but they're still very good. And they're often like they hundred percent remove a lot of that, um, stuffiness that you might expect. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something I think instantly approachable about what is essentially the style guide to SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it is, and it's totally ridiculous. And like a lot of um, so a lot of the sort of bartending world functions around like competitions, and a lot of uh, different you know liquor companies sponsor different competitions and stuff like that. And, and often one of the categories in uh, tiki competition is the garish garnish, right? Like how ridiculous can you make your garnish? Um, which I think is a great category. Yeah. But it's, it's more than anything. It's like fun. If that makes sense. Like it's not overly serious and it kind of embraces that. You're right. But it, it embraces the goof. Like there's a, totally, a there's yeah. a certain goofiness. There's a cer- certain tackiness, uh, at least to it's the incredibly tacky, at least to yeah. the tiki drinks like that. You send me pictures of when the two of you go traveling, yeah. That that I that, that just uh, it just puts a smile on my face. Yeah, like ridiculous bendy straws and like my favorite is at False Idol in uh, sorry not a False Idol um, at Lost Lake in uh, Chicago. Uh, we had a banana daiquiri, which was very much a frozen like slushy daiquiri, um, but it was delicious. Like it, it was like the really sophisticated version of that daiquiri deck daiquiri, right? Mm-hmm. Like and it was it was amazing and delicious. But like they also had a banana dolphin in it and uh you guys should go google this because a banana dolphin garnish is just the most hilarious thing you've ever seen um and it it was fantastic it was a really really good drink but like it's also very funny in a lot of ways yeah oh man that's yeah uh, i I remember you showing pictures showing us pictures of that it was uh it is it is wonderful but okay so 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 what i mean what is the jungle bird man i don't even think I've, i've i've had one okay so like tiki drinks sort of traditionally combine a couple of different you know, like we talk about a sour, you know what I mean? Like the daiquiri where you've got, you know, you've got fruit juice like lime. Um, you've got sugar and you've got a spirit of some sort, right? Right. Um, you've talked about an old fashioned where you've got, you know, a spirit and sugar and bitters. Um, but like tiki drinks are sort of more nebulous and a bit more abstract than that. Often they have rum, but not always. I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, so rum is probably one of the most diverse spirits in the world just because there's not like a lot of standardization and it's very regional. So like a rum from Martinique is very different from a Jamaican rum. Like it, these are radically different and they have very different distilling processes and they have different source ingredients and they can taste tremendously different. Right. Um, oh, yeah. whereas- I mean, we, we, we went from having no rums to going out and buying three bottles and they're all wildly different. Right. It, whereas if you have bourbon, it's probably going to be like some bourbons are better than others and some people like certain bourbons better than, you know, whatever. But like they're all kind of the same. Like they're all more or less in the same ballpark. Yeah, whereas rums are just like comically different. Yeah, they're they're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I had mentioned it. I think I mentioned it last week because I had gotten a question uh, about what what liquors what i recommend if you're on a budget and when i got to rum i was just like just buy whatever rum is cheap in basically <laughs> every form well it's sort of the problem is you get into aged rums and that's when you start getting into like you know rye whiskey territory of expensiveness um yeah but it's not a fundamental to a lot of tiki which is great um but yeah so like rum not fundamental but Often what you see in tiki drinks is actually multiple rums because they're, they are so different. They sort of occupy different niches in the palate. And so you can end up – the great thing about rums is you can combine three or four different rums and end up with, a, with something that is more than the sum of its parts. So you end up with a really sort of nuanced, layered flavor um, if it's balanced correctly. And tiki is very hard to balance correctly. Um, 
because of the third component, which is fresh juice. So fresh juice is a really fundamental part of tea stuff. And, um, without it actually during the sort of like dark ages of the mid century of cocktails, right? So like post prohibition, we'd lost a ton of knowledge. Uh, you know, we had generally terrible, like, like the sixties and seventies and stuff like that. Like a lot of the, like there was no fresh ingredients in cocktails, not really. And, uh, tiki bars were one of the few places where you could actually experience that kind of stuff. Um, so they, they sort of kept that alive in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, so the the fresh juice is really important and often like a lot of varieties of different juices. Like you'll often see split between like lemon and lime juice and there's some orange juice added in. Like orange juice is very difficult to balance with. Like it's very complex because it's both sweet and sour. So it's not like a thing that you can just, you know, toss in and then balance with another ingredient. Right. It's um, well, it, it's already a complex flavor in its own right. Exactly. Um, and then finally what you kind of need for tiki is spice and what a lot of people associate with it is actually Christmas spices, stuff like, you know, nutmeg and cinnamon and like, uh, also things like almond or pomegranate, like, um, yeah, which, which, which I found fascinating because you, you and Abby have, have made me a, f- a few drinks like this. And I, f- I just find that odd because you're right. You, I think of those as Christmas. I think of those as winter, even though I, I live in a state where there is essentially no seasons, but mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, when I think of tiki, I think, you know, the sun and the beach and the salt water. Right. But what's interesting is they seem to work really well together. And I wonder if that's sort of the sort of, uh, you know, mental association we have with the sort of warming properties of those things. But like it works really well yeah. um, and it makes them interesting and sort of exotic and kind of sophisticated. Um, so like we, we have those sort of different key ingredients. So with um with the jungle bread is like a very simplified version of this. Um, we've got like, we've got rum obviously. So in this case we're going to use black strap. Um, I think Crusion makes a black strap that's very, very cheap and actually pretty decent. It's not really something you'd want to sip on its own, but like it makes for a great drink. Yeah. That's what we have here. Uh, right. I don't remember the exact price. So it's definitely under 20 bucks. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty accessible. Um, so black strap is like a very subcategory of like a dark, very dark rum. And I think it's like, it uses a ton of Demerara or whatever. I'm not really sure how it's manufactured, but it's just a very dark sort of, um, it has an, an, an extreme molasses quality. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it's an ounce and a half of that. And then three quarters of an ounce of Campari, um, which I've, you've talked about Campari obviously in the past. Um, and this is kind of the spice element here because Campari has a lot of different, like weird, uh, you know, aromatics that are in it. Um, and, uh, that's what's being used in this case. Uh, then we've got fresh lime juice, um, a half an ounce of that and an ounce and a half of pineapple juice. So also fresh, if you can get it, that's always preferable, right? It makes a pretty substantial difference. And then how do you juice a pineapple? Literally using a juicer, like, uh, um, like, uh, you know how people make juices like, so you basically process the thing and then what strain it out? Yeah, sure. But like, um, so like, you know how people actually have juicers for like, oh, they'll add kale and beets and carrot and whatever to their, you know, smoothie mix or whatever. Right. Um, so like an actual fruit juicer will juice that kind of stuff pretty easily. Gotcha. Cool. Um, I mean, you can also buy a bottle. It's just not as good and you're going to notice. Mm. Um, but often like when you're home and you don't care that much, like, <laughs> It can be a pretty high like burden to try and like juice an entire pineapple. Like that's a kind of a nightmare. Right. I, um, I mean, you typically only go that far when you're you know you'll be entertaining for a few 
people, right? I'm assuming you don't do this kind of, you don't buy yourself a pineapple and juice it just for you and, yeah, no, and, and Abby. Right. I mean, you might just eat the rest of it because it's delicious. <laughs> That's, that is true. That is, you're right. You're right. You could just. Uh, and with, with the Jungle Bird, this is great because often the garnish for it is actually a couple of pineapple fronds sticking out of the glass. So like that can be fun to have a whole pineapple to, to play with. Right. Um, um, and you basically, you shake it and then you strain it into like a double rocks glass, like an old fashioned glass. Um, and you, you can strain it over a single large ice cube if that's how you want it or over crushed ice if that's how you want it. And you can garnish it with pineapple if you want, or you can garnish it with pineapple fronds or whatever else you may find is interesting. And, uh, then you drink it and it's really delicious. You could take a block of pineapple and carve an actual bird out of it. You couldn't uh, absolutely <laughs> nothing to stop you from doing that. Stick that in the drink. Um, but I, it's it's interesting because uh, for me at least, most people's experience with what they mentally associate with the tiki drink, which is often like a juicy, fruity, very sweet drink, this defies all those expectations, right? You see those ingredients going in, but it's like actually pretty subtle and bitter, and like has a sophisticated palate, and it's also like the Negroni, kind of a pretty robust drink. So like if it's not perfect like it still works pretty good well thank you campari is what i'm I'm just gonna say campari is probably the one doing all that work uh it's such i i i was reading i I had i had death and co open the other night and and i hadn't really taken the time to kind of read through uh the first half of the book which is is very uh, educational um and they they have their sections about you know they did go through the different liquors they go through the different Mm -hmm. you know additives and i get to the thing about campari and there's just a line in there it's something along the lines of like every every bartender has become completely obsessed with campari at one point or another and and uh, it's, it's right i like i i feel like you were obsessed with it when you when you introduced me to campari for the first time and and right now i think i'm going through my campari obsession yeah definitely and it's delicious and it's very distinctive um and it's i mean like yeah there was a period of a couple of weeks here where all i was drinking was negroni so like it's just that good. Yeah. You just kind of get on, you just ride the wave, but it's also bitter and strange and slightly acquired taste. Um, oh yeah. So- La- last week, uh, since you hadn't listened to it, I-, I had mentioned, I was, I was like, I think every, every, every drink I covered up until this point, I think is a pretty safe bet with anyone who is, um, like, you know, open to cocktails mm-hmm. and anything like the Negroni and anything with Campari in it. That's the, this is the first drink I'm kind of talking about where I'm, I'm pretty sure like half of you probably won't like it. <laughs> Or will eventually grow to like it. Like, yeah, that too. My experience with Campari when I first got into cocktails is sort of uh, like it, it grew on me over time. Like, I was never adverse to it, but like, mm. I didn't love it. Um, yeah, I had. Um, so, so you made us a Negroni, and, and I was kind of eh about it. Katie loved it. Um, so she was actually kind of the 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 she leaned into it, which is what caused us to buy a bottle for our bar. Uh, and then you told me to try the Boulevardier, which I completely forgot to mention last week. And I'm sorry, listeners, because the Boulevardier is a Negroni, but it's bourbon instead of gin. And uh, something about the bourbon um, uh, smooths it out. It's 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 less of um. I don't even know what to call it. It's it's not as it's not as dry. Uh, it kind of changes the texture of it. It becomes a, a smoother drink with the bourbon, I think, versus the gin. And I got really into those. And that kind of that that was my gateway to Campari. And then once I realized that I liked the taste of Campari, 
I stopped Boulevard EAs entirely, and now I just drink Negronis. <laughs> but you kind of ease into it, right? Your palate develops a little bit more, and you sort of, like, it's, yeah. I mean, cocktails are a very interesting crash course in, like, how people's palates can change. Yeah, it, 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 it honestly, I, I find an, an odd through line with how I enjoy music and uh, how bands I've been a fan of for a very long time. They change over time. And at first I'm like, oh, this album is terrible. And then a month later, it's the only thing I'm listening to. That's actually an interesting analogy. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the other reason I kind of mentioned the Jungle Bird, too, is because it's like this really flexible drink. Like there are literally hundreds of different versions out there. Um you know, a guy called Jason Alexander from a tiki bar in Tacoma, Washington, called the Tacoma Cabana, which is a great name, um, uh, you know, came up with a version that has passion fruit syrup in it. And it makes it kind of like a little um, tangier. Like it, it's just this like it's a slight change, you know, but it's not it's not a big one, but it makes it way like more fruit forward and like really tangy. And then. Like at a different place in Washington too, actually coincidentally, like a, a place called the Zigzag Cafe, which is probably one of the oldest craft cocktail bars that's around in the United States, and sort of um, actually the the Zigzag Cafe brought back the last word, like long before you know Death and Co. Publisher book or whatever. Like they were sort of like responsible for the resurgence of like what is now considered a very classic famous drink um but uh we had a version there that was like didn't actually have pineapple juice in it but used pineapple syrup instead and it was like very different structurally but it had so many of the similar flavor notes that it worked really well um and if you google around a bit like you'll see dozens of different versions of this drink and it's very flexible like that you can sort of exchange ingredients and mess with stuff and it still works fairly well yeah yeah that's I, I like that. And I've been I've been talking about that I think almost every week about how if there's a drink you like, chances are there's a spin on it that you can do once you kind of understand the balance of it. Right. I, the problem with Campari is it's kind of irreplaceable, so that's kind of an ingredient you need. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Last week's episode, I I, I I went into it expecting it to be an episode about the Negroni, and it, I ended it. It was an episode about Campari <laughs> uh, because it's you're right. I mean, first of all, there there is no other option because I I. I I went down the rabbit hole last week preparing for the episode, reading up on the history of Campari and, and uh, aperitifs, if mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and apparently there's a bunch of aperitifs and n all of them. There's only one of them <laughs> because n they're all super cagey. None of them share their recipe. <laughs> and yeah, and like, some of them have sort of similar flavor profiles like uh, like Aperol, for instance, is kind of like a sweeter orange orangier like version of campari it's like a little less bitter and a little more fruit forward um you know there's other stuff that's similar and often when you see riffs on this kind of stuff you'll see like those two exchanged you know but like you're right they're not close enough to really um you know these are unique ingredients in a lot of ways they're kind of like amaros yeah yeah it's 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 not like it's not like a bourbon or a bomb or a gin where you're just like well you can get whichever one you like with campari it's like there's just one campari I assumed yeah. the first time you ever told me about it, I'm like, oh, I'm probably going to go to the store and they'll probably be like 10 different bottles. Nope. Yeah. No, this <laughs> is like just the one trade secret recipe kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I won't, won't retread it, but yeah, and Campari has a fascinating story. Yep. But, um, well, 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 awesome, man. I, I, uh, Ben, dude, I really appreciate you coming on. This was, this was fun. I know I told you, I was like, dude, 30 minutes tops. And we're, here we are passing the 50 minute mark. Uh, <laughs> it happens. Just because I, I love, I love talking drinks with you, but, yep. um, 
anytime you want to come back on, just poke me. Be like, hey, man, I feel like you're getting in front of the microphone yeah. again. Um, Listen, I got to say my piece about X. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to get this. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to get this Jungle Bird spec from you and I'll be uh, I'll be I'll add it yeah. into the yeah. show description. So uh, just one quick side note on that, actually, which is um, the Jungle Bird was actually invented like or came out of the the Hilton in Kuala Lumpur um in 1978 so it's like one of the like handful of like really good drinks that actually came out of the 70s and 80s um and it's kind of sort of interesting when you kind of look at it through that context because most of the stuff that came through from that era is really not great um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah so it's a interesting um speaks to the virtue of hotel bars too yeah well we have currently four pineapples growing perfect in our backyard even though we we just plucked three of them a few months ago, and now we've got four more that are showing. They're that you know, beautiful little pink, tiny bud when they start. Mm. Um, so once those are done, it should be ready to pick by summer. Perfect time. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have we'll to have juice have a few of them. Birds, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, rad. Well, um, before you go, man, I mean, uh, do do you want to do you want to promote anything? You actually, I know you and Abby have a cocktail Instagram account. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um. So it's uh, at Pomelo Cocktail Club. And how, and since it's an audio show, how how the hell do you spell pom- pomelo? It, it's uh, sorry, it's um, uh, P O M E L O, and then cocktail club, yeah. uh, and that's on Instagram. And it's uh, we've just been taking pictures of drinks, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, um, you guys, uh, <laughs> I conscripted you to take photos for my wedding, so you guys are pretty you're pretty handy with a with a with a camera, yeah. uh, and on top of that too like everyone out there like if you just want to see what i'm probably drinking chances are uh, you guys are taking pictures of it and <laughs> and posting on uh pomelo cocktail club yeah uh pretty often and there's also a bunch of different uh photos from like bars we've been to and stuff like that so you can sort of see what what these bars that we're talking about are yeah. like yeah and all four of us are heading out to new york in uh, may so expect to see a lot of a lot of reports from that and maybe some episodes of this show uh talking about our experiences yeah awesome i'm so stoked for it man <laughs> i can't wait it'll be fun it'll be a good time well uh anyways thanks again dude and you are uh pixel garbage on twitter if anyone wants to give you a follow there yep yep uh so go check that out uh i am as always garrett art on twitter uh thank you again to my patrons uh if you haven't checked it out patrons i have been uh po- posting up uh, recipe cards if you're a, if you're a, a patron of this show uh, there's a printable and also digital versions for your devices like tablets and whatnot uh for the first three drinks i talked about the negroni one is ready to go up i just didn't want to post it the same day as a show so that'll be going up tomorrow and soon all i guess i gotta make myself a jungle bird snap a picture of it and make you guys a recipe card for that so go check that out patreon.com slash angry nerd and that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks to Ben. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's the weekend, so everyone have fun and good luck. I said my outro backwards. <laughs>